Our scripture reading this morning comes from Galatians chapter 3 and Colossians 2. We'll start with Galatians chapter 3. Galatians 3, verse 23, and we'll read through chapter 4, verse 20. This is part of our series through the letter of Colossians, and this chapter in Galatians speaks to many of the same themes that we'll be working through in our text uh, this morning. So beginning in Galatians 3, verse 23. There the Apostle Paul writes, Now before faith came... We were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father." In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather, to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years, I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose. And not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. Uh, You see Paul's anguish there in his struggle for that church, and there's a similar uh, struggle that he has with the Colossian church. 
We'll read about that also now from Colossians chapter 2. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 23. A somewhat more joyful, but nonetheless equally somber text. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding, In thanksgiving, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority." In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you were also raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised Him from the dead. And you, who were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in Him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God." If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you still submit to regulations, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings? These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So far, the word of the Lord. As we reflect on what we've read, let's sing together from Psalm 31, stanzas 3 and 4. Through 14, uh, it's quite a number of verses, so I won't read them over again, but you would probably be helped by having your Bibles open uh, so you can reference the things that uh, we are talking about. Brothers and sisters in our Lord Jesus Christ, uh, we should begin with a bit of a recap over the, the ground that we've covered in the letter to the Colossians. The main message, the thing that Paul wants us to see, wants the Colossians to see, and, and by extension wants us to see more than anything else, is the immense superiority of Christ over anyone 
and every other power, and also the massive significance of the gospel of Christ for your and my life. So, the superiority of Christ, as greater, as better, as more valuable, as more powerful than any other person or any other force, and the significance of the gospel truth, that you belong to Him and nothing will take you from His hand, that you've been brought from that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ, the kingdom of light, and, uh, and that is literally the greatest imaginable news of your life. That's the main message that Paul wants us to understand. And, uh, last, the last sermon, several weeks ago, we saw how Paul wants us not just to know that truth, but also to, to make it our life's pursuit to grow and to deepen in our knowledge and our living out of that truth. Uh, and and we, we talked about this in, in terms of riches uh, the, the riches that come from the glory of the mystery of the gospel. So we, we saw a little bit of a chain there. Uh, if you know the, the mystery of the gospel, Jesus Christ, there's glory there. If you live in that glory, there are immense riches to be obtained. Uh, and, and one of the main reasons why Paul is driving this home, reminding us of these things that, that, of course, we ought to know, but we do well to be reminded of, is because Paul was concerned for the early church. And Paul would be concerned for us as well, that if we forget the significance of who Christ is and all that we have in Christ, we are in danger. We are in danger of getting swept up by alternate teachings, alternate ideas, new and exciting doctrines that will ultimately ruin our faith and lead us away from Christ. And that happens in Christian churches. And we should be aware of it. So Paul has this concern. You see this playing out very starkly in the, in, in the letter to the Galatians. There the struggle is, is right at the forefront. That church was on the brink of falling away. And, and that's why Paul has that tone that he has with them. And so he gives a bit of a a forewarning here to the Colossians. Christians who are unimpressed with Christ or bored with the gospel of Christ are sitting ducks for new, exciting teachings that will sweep them up and ruin their faith and, and steal them away from Christ. If you are disinterested in Christ, if it just doesn't mean much to you to belong to Christ, there are people and there are ideas out there in our world as well that will very gladly exploit that disinterest and give you a substitute that will grab your attention, get you excited, and shipwreck your faith. That's Paul's concern for the Colossian church. And that's what Paul then focuses on in in our text this morning. So we come to verse 8, where he tells them, after uh, after showing the glory of the gospel, he says in verse 8, Now see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and here's the key phrase, not according to. To Christ. So we can think of this morning's sermon as, as a safety meeting. 
You guys have this in, in most of your workplaces. Uh, and and these, these safety meetings are often boring, uh, but they're a useful preventative measure to keep you from going, or to keep things from happening that, that might ultimately harm you. Uh, that's what this text is also for us. Uh, I, I mentioned a couple sermons ago um, that, that there was a, a period in the, in the United States in the 1800s when cults were springing up a dime a dozen. Uh, you got the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Christian Scientists, the Spiritualists, the Christadelphians, the Unitarians, and dozens of other smaller cults, all springing up just in that one century. And then a dozen or so more in, in the 1900s. And undoubtedly, there will be some in our century as well that, that spring up. Uh, these are cults that, that fixate on, on personalities or on strange, exciting, mystical new ideas. Doctrines that are foreign to the Christian faith. And, and they're often wildly successful. Uh, Mormonism is one of the fastest growing religions in the world right now. And the question that we want to think about is, will some of these cults, if they come up in our century, which they will... Will some of them spring up from our own churches? Will some of us in this church get swept up by, by the teachings of, of these cults? Are we vulnerable to this? That's the danger that we want to think about. And that's the purpose for which we have, let's call this a, a safety meeting. Uh, because here's the reality. These cults prey upon Christians who don't know Christ. Christians in name, who don't know Christ. Uh, they, they may know some elements of Christian doctrine, but they, there's no deep, meaningful relationship with Christ. There is no deep, life-transforming understanding of the gospel. They are unimpressed with Christ, and they get very easily impressed with, with these cults. Now, we don't know exactly all the, the contours of, of the cult that... Uh, Paul had in mind. There are uh, commentaries, I've read many commentaries on Colossians, and, and many of them spend the bulk of their writing just on trying to describe what is the, the Colossian heresy, what is this cult all about. Uh, we, we really don't know that much. The best we can tell is that it was some kind of mystic, syncretistic Judaism. So, uh, we want to recognize the, the, the realities of the dynamics that were there. The Colossian church was a Gentile church. These were Gentiles coming into the Christian faith, which is a Jewish faith. The Christian faith is a Jewish faith. We worship uh, King Jesus, a Jew, who, who came as the fulfillment of the Jewish scriptures. Uh, and, and so the Colossian church was a Gentile church coming into the, the, the world of Judaism, and, and it meant that they were vulnerable to people, to, to Jews, uh, who, uh, who, who would come along teaching supposedly Jewish doctrines uh, that, that sounded correct, that were based in part on, on Scripture that looked impressive. And they would be like, wow, I didn't know that the Bible taught that, but you're a Jew, so you must know. And, and they would get caught up in these sorts of teachings. Uh, we can get a glimpse of some of the things, the elements involved uh, in this teaching. If you look at verses 16 to 23, uh, Paul talks about food laws and Sabbaths 
and, and circumcision. All of these were, were Jewish customs, but also some, some pagan Greek uh, ideas, asceticism. The worship of angels and elemental spirits. Uh, all of these are the stuff of cults. And, and we do know of many, or several anyway, Jewish cults that did have this, this mixture of these, these ideas. Uh, Jewish ideas mixed with uh, Gentile, pagan, cultish uh, concepts. Um, and, and so we do know of some cults that pretty closely resemble the things that Paul is talking about. And we can assume that there were many more uh, that we no longer know about. I want to pay attention to four expressions that Paul uses to describe these cults. He, or at least this cult. He calls it philosophy, empty deceit, something that's according to human tradition, and something that's according to elemental spirits. And, and then I mentioned that key phrase, not according to Christ. Now when Paul calls it philosophy, uh, we shouldn't automatically think of the sort of philosophy that you get in, in university class. Uh, he's not saying that all philosophy means. What Paul is talking about is certain ideas that gave themselves the name of the philosophy. So some of these cults went around calling themselves the philosophy or the teaching of the philosophy. And yet, they are really empty and deceitful. Uh, there, there are groups within the church, both then and, and there are now, that claim to have this secret Wisdom, this access to secret spiritual truths, and, and they are very seductive groups. Uh, this is a perennial problem. It existed then, it still exists now. Uh, today we call them sects or cults. Uh, they come with promises of access into wisdom and, and into divine things. And it all sounds very impressive, but there's nothing there. That's why Paul uses the phrase, Empty deceit. Christians who, who, who fall for them will spend years, literally years, pursuing this secret wisdom, thinking they're making progress when they're really just running in circles. There is nothing there. Uh, they, they are never enriched. They never grow. They never find the deeper truths that they're looking for. But they, they are puffed up, believing that they've made much progress. It's empty it's seductive, and it ultimately destroys your faith in the simple gospel of Christ. And so that's why Paul also calls it empty deceit. It has this appearance of wisdom, but it's really all just smoke and mirrors. It makes you think you're learning when you're not. Uh, Paul, Paul says that these cults are also founded upon human traditions. It's a phrase he uses, and, and that hints at some of the Jewish origins of, of the cults. Uh, the, the cult that he was dealing with. It's the same phrase, actually, that the Lord Jesus used of the Pharisees. Uh, he said, you leave the commandments of God and hold to the traditions of men, human traditions. Now, again, verses 16 to 23 show us a, a glimpse of what these human traditions were, rules about food and drink, festivals, Sabbaths, asceticism, or, or especially verse 23, he uses a, an interesting phrase, he talks about self-made religion. In other words, it's fake religion. It has all the outward appearance of a pious, godly, impressive religion, 
but it's doing, instead of doing what's plainly commanded by God, it's doing religion and rules that are simply invented by men. It's, it's fake, self-made religion. And finally, Paul says, these teachings are according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. And that's a, it's a key phrase, and it's one that I want to think about also in our day. Uh, there's a lot of debate about what exactly does Paul mean about, uh, when, when he talks about elemental spirits or elemental principles. Um, it's actually just a single word. Um, in, in the Greek, um, that is sometimes translated elemental principles or elemental spirits. We saw the same word in, in Galatians as well. And, and commentaries do their best to try and fill in what does Paul mean by this, by this word. Um, it's actually the same word that, that we use when we talk about the, the chart of the elements. In, in chemistry class, you, you get this chart of the elements. And, and in the Greek, it's based on that same Greek uh, word. And, and that's, uh, that actually helps us to understand what it means because it has something to do with, with what, what religions conceive of as the, the basic elements of the universe, um, uh, which, which in most ancient Greek philosophies were uh, these four elements, earth, air, fire, and water. Uh, some of you kids um, who grew up in the early 2000s, I did, um, you might remember the Bionicles Lego collection. I think they still exist, but I'm not sure how popular they were. But they were these Lego figures that would throw discs or hurl lightning bolts and things like that. At each other, and they were each of them was based off of one of the four elements: earth, air, fire, or or water. And and all of this is rooted in that ancient Greek and, and ancient Hindu philosophy. Um, in our present day, it's often referred to as Gaia, G-A-I-A, Gaia, um, Mother Earth mythology and mysticism. I made the mistake as I was prepping this sermon. I made the mistake of over-researching this. I went on to Gaia.org or something like that, and literally for the next three months, I was getting ads on Facebook from this from this website. So don't go there, and unless you want to hear it, but it does give you a glimpse. If you see some of their videos, it gives you a glimpse of exactly the sort of things that these cults were were playing upon. Uh, this this idea of, of accessing elemental forces, spiritual powers that are there in our universe, that if you do the right rituals or, or study the right secrets of wisdom, you'll, you'll gain control over these, these elements of our universe. This is still very much alive and well today. It, it's very much resurging in, in also the New Age uh, sort of mysticism. I, uh, we went uh, as our, part of our vacation to New Mexico um, over the last couple of weeks, and, and it's very much alive there. There's this, it's sort of an outbranching of the hippie movement where they're focusing on this New Age mysticism. Uh, it's even there in the Avatar movies, this, this accessing of Mother Earth and these, these elemental powers. Um, and, and there are Christians who get caught up in, in this kind of stuff, reading horoscopes and, and watching the stars, uh, believing that, that the stars have some influence on, on the course of their day or the course of their, uh, their lives. And it all sounds mystical and profound and deep. It has that appearance of wisdom. And, and that's what makes it so effective. Uh, you find some of this stuff in yoga. 
as well, um, which also, of course, has its roots in, in Hinduism. Uh, and, and Christians who aren't deeply rooted in Christ, notice that in verses 1 and 2 of, of our chapter, uh, be rooted and grounded in Christ, Christians who aren't deeply rooted in Christ uh, get caught up in these ideas uh, and, and, and can end up swallowing this stuff whole. I've seen this with, with fellow Christians who, uh, I don't want to touch the debate on whether Christians can, can do yoga, but Christians who swallow this stuff whole uh, start talking about their inner harmony and balance, uh, channeling their spiritual energies. And, and they're talking about these elemental spirits. It has the appearance of wisdom. It's empty. It's seductive. It runs in circles. It goes nowhere. It makes you think you're learning when you're not. Uh, and, and all of these ideas were big in, in ancient Greek philosophy as well. Uh, there, there are connections when you go further back between the Greeks and the Hindus, uh, rooted in some of these common uh, beliefs. And we should take these things seriously in our day as well. Not only because it's on the rise in our culture, uh, but also because Scripture teaches us very clearly that uh, behind false religions, there are real demonic forces and powers. Now, we don't deny the existence of, of spiritual forces in this universe, uh, Scripture teaches that they are there. There are, uh, there are demons who are fallen angels who have chosen to rebel against God. They are spiritual forces. And Paul in Ephesians 6 talks about our struggle against the spiritual forces, the powers of darkness. Uh, so, so we do not buy into the lie of the materialists in our culture who say that you know, all of that is hogwash. None of it exists at all. Uh, no, God's, war, God's word does warn us otherwise. These forces do exist. Now, on the other hand, we, we should also be careful not to, to fall on, in the other mistake of obsessing with these spiritual forces as these cults do. Believing that you can access them, that you can control them. Through, through, through channeling your inner energy or, your, or the, the, the spiritual harmony of the universe. Um, we should be careful on, on that front as well. But having said that, that we do want to be careful, I want to pay close attention to what exactly is Paul's warning. It isn't just be careful, uh, like don't mess with that stuff because it's, it's, it's dangerous stuff. Uh, Paul's exhortation is actually slightly different. He recognizes that those forces are real. You see that in verse 8. You see it again in verse 15. Um, He does recognize these forces are real. But the point that he actually drives home in these verses is not so much the danger of messing around with them, though it is real, but actually the weakness, the silliness of of obsessing with those powers, how weak they are in contrast to Christ. You see, that's, that's where we really go wrong. It's, uh, so one way you can go wrong is by, by forgetting they exist, but you can also go wrong by thinking too much of them, uh, believing that they are uh, too powerful and must somehow be, uh, be reckoned with on their own terms. Uh, and so what Paul says about these cults is, Number one, the cults themselves are empty and deceitful. 
Uh, we, we saw that point already. Uh, they're claiming access to secret wisdom that they just don't have. Hinduism, uh, the New Age mysticism, uh, though they deal with real spiritual forces, they themselves, these religions, are empty and deceitful. It's smoke and mirrors. They have no idea what they're actually dealing with. Uh, they are deceived themselves and deceiving others. He's very clear about it. It's empty deceit. Don't listen to them. Don't pay attention to them. Uh, They are lies designed to take you captive and destroy your faith. Uh, That's what he says about the cults. Number two, he says, uh, these teachings about all these elemental spirits, uh, not only are, are the teachers wrong, but even if they were right, they still wouldn't be worth your time as Christians. Because here's the thing. These elemental spirits, whatever they may be, uh, and, and these, the, the, though these cults have no idea what they are, but whatever they are, they have nothing against Christ. That's the whole point that Paul has been making also in, in the last chapter. Uh, the reality is Christians do fall for these cults. And, and the Christians who fall for them are the ones who don't see the magnificence and the glory of Christ. It's the Christians who are unimpressed with Christ, who are just meh about being Christians, who find Jesus to be just plain vanilla and are looking for something better. Those are the Christians who fall for these cults. And so what Paul does, is, especially in verses 9 to 15, uh, he shows how pathetic and how small and how weak These cults are when you really know Jesus Christ. For example, verse 9, he says, For in Him, in Christ, the fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you, for your part, are filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and all authority. It's the same point he made in uh, chapter 1, verse 19, where he says, "In in, In Christ, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. In other words, Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord of, of not just earth, but heaven. The Lord of every spiritual power, every force in the universe will bow the knee to Jesus. So understand this. It, in Jesus Christ, if you have indeed come to know Him, you have been brought into, the fellowship, into fellowship with the living God, and you have a relationship with Him, the ruler of of the universe, the head of all rule and all authority, uh, and the one for whom your heart was made, why in the world would you go after these lower elemental spirits that they themselves must bow the knee to Jesus? You've been brought right into relationship with the head of all rule. Who cares about the lesser rules, the lesser authorities? So draw near to Jesus, and you will find in Him what all of these cults, all of these uh, spiritual forces could never offer you. You will find in Jesus what you will never find in any inner harmony, inner energy, spiritual forces uh, that, that many Christians seek. You won't find what you're looking for there. You will find it in Jesus, and you'll find it in Jesus in a measure that blows everything else out of the water. 
Now, what makes these cults, in other words, so pathetic is, is that they're all about striving for manipulation of, of forces in the, in the universe while ignoring the God who rules over every force and power in the universe, who has come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. Why waste your time with anything less? Uh, you see it again in verse 11. Um, he says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Uh, sorry if your eyes glossed over. I had to read the whole verse. Um, you'll see why. Now, the point he's making has to do specifically with the teaching in, in Colossae, but it's relevant for, for our day as well. Um, it was a Jewish cult. And, and so as one of the aspects of, of Jewish uh, cults, one of the things it was insisting on was circumcision. And, and what Paul says is, the circumcision that these Jews obsess over, the, the cutting off of a little bit of human skin, um, that they make so much of is nothing but a shadow of the reality. In Christ, you got the real deal. You didn't just have a, a piece of skin taken off. You, had, you, you have the thing that that circumcision pointed to, the changing of a heart that makes you belong to God. That's the real deal. And, 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 and the, the physical circumcision was just a picture. So he speaks of a circumcision that's made without human hands. Um, to understand this well, we need to remember also that in the Old Testament, uh, circumcision was a symbol of, of removing the old flesh um, and being consecrated to God. And, and when that little bit of flesh was cut off and thrown away, it, it was a symbolic picture of, this, uh, of a person being taken from the world, uh, that old flesh being cast away and being made to belong uh, to God. And, and that's not just a New Testament reinterpretation of the old. That is very clearly taught in the Old Testament as well. That's why the prophet Jeremiah, for example, cried out against people who were uh, only circumcised in the flesh, to use Jeremiah's language. It was obviously not enough to just have the symbol. Uh, the point was to have the reality. Um, it was supposed to, to speak to a circumcision of the heart, a changing of, of the heart. Um, and, and that's why Paul also connects this to, to baptism. You see that there in, in that, that verse. Um, it, the, the symbol that we use for, for being taken from the world, washed and made to belong to Christ in, in the New Testament age is baptism. Uh, whether we're immersed or sprinkled, uh, it represents the blood of Christ and it's a picture of the same reality. You are now consecrated to God. When we are brought under the blood of Christ, the old man is set aside and the new man um, comes to life. And, and so the point that Paul is making is don't trade the reality for the shadow. Don't trade the reality for the shadow. You already have the reality of belonging to Christ, consecrated to God. You already have that. Don't throw that away for the little tearing off of a piece of skin. It's not a, a good trade. Uh, and here's why it's relevant um, for us as well. It happens so easily 
Um, even though I, I doubt that any of us are tempted to, to fall back into Judaism and, and to obsess over circumcision as such, uh, it happens all the time that Christians do this. They trade the reality for shadows, for things that sound deep and mystical, for pictures uh, that excite them, uh, for, for ceremonies that they don't quite understand, and that's precisely why they like them, because they don't quite understand them, so it feels mystical, mysterious, uh, spiritual, and they trade the reality of belonging to Christ for something that, that feels deep and spiritual, but it's nothing but a shadow. And uh, perhaps this will offend some people, but I believe this is one of the main reasons that, that it's, it's a trend, it's, it's, a, uh, it's a phenomenon in our, in our century that many Protestants are heading back the road to, down the road to, to Roman Catholicism, swimming the Tiber, the Tiber River, as, as, as we, we say. Uh, they, they convert to Roman Catholicism or Eastern Orthodoxy because of the, the mystery there's, there's a certain beauty, whether it's in the architecture or in the ceremonies. There's a, a mystery that surrounds the religion that they experience there. And, and it's exciting, it's interesting, it's intriguing. And they trade the realities. Very often, they trade the realities for those shadows. This is also why Christians, when you come at it from the other side, Christians that come from those traditions, like they did in the Reformation, like uh, they are in, in many places, like you see in Brazil in the mission fields there, Christians that come from those traditions uh, and, and discover the real gospel of grace, the reality, uh, they so detest Roman Catholic or Eastern Orthodox doctrine. They hate it. Because they see it for what it is. Uh, Pieces of Christian doctrine. Yes, there there are pieces of Christian doctrine there. But shrouded in all sorts of shadows and and mysteries that obscure the gospel and take away from the focus on Christ. His forgiveness, His peace, His nearness are all obscured by shadows. Uh, Christians that come from those places and come to know the true gospel, uh, they see the emptiness of shadows that obscure the grace of Christ, and they discover the fullness of what it means to belong to Christ. That's what Paul is also warning us uh, about. Uh, Don't fall back into shadows. They're intriguing. They're mysterious. They have the appearance of wisdom. They may have long, ancient traditions behind them, but they obscure the grace of Christ. Don't fall for them. Number three, verse 14. uh, In in Christ, Paul also says, this is a third reason why we... uh, uh, why, why all of these cults are so small and, and pathetic. Um, he says in verse 14, the record of, In Christ, the record of debt that stood against us with all of its legal demands has been nailed to the cross once for all. And this is why falling into those cults is so devastating because part of membership in these cults is, is performing a whole brand new list of legal demands. You've got to walk that road of, of mystical wisdom, and it involves rituals, it involves long disciplines, it involves chanting certain prayers. Uh, it's legal demands that take the freedom that you had in Christ 
and, and give you a whole new list of demands that will stand over you and condemn you. And he, he mentions some of them, um, asceticism. So asceticism is uh, any form of beating the body, whether it's starvation, whether it's uh, whipping oneself, whether it's uh, being a hermit, living off in the wilderness uh, by yourself. It's depriving yourself of, of basic bodily experiences and pleasures uh, in, in order to access some supposedly greater sphere of, of wisdom. Um, that's, that's asceticism. And, and Paul says, he, he just condemns it. He says that it's not worth your time. It's empty, it's deceitful, it's man-made religion. Um, it, it's a return to slavery. And, and so what Paul says, if you've known Christ, if you come to know Christ, you have known the joy of having all this long list of legal demands that stood against you, taken, nailed to the cross, and it doesn't stand against you anymore. Don't go back to any place that will give you a whole new list of legal demands. You are free in Christ. And finally, uh, the, the fourth thing he says um, in verse 15, Christ also disarmed the rulers and authorities. He's already put them to open shame by triumphing over them uh, uh, in, in Christ. Uh, here's the point Paul wants to make. If you really know Christ, why in the world would you fall back to slavery to the very forces that Christ has defeated? Christ already conquered over them. Why would you submit yourself to them? Uh, So again, we do need to know that Satan and demons and spiritual forces are real. They are real. uh, They are realities in this universe. And we need to know, we should recognize, that Satan still has some grip, uh, even now, on much of the world. That grip is, 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 is slipping. Christ's kingdom is growing. And yet there is much of the world in in slavery to Satan. Uh, These are people that have no God, no hope in this world, um, and that's right where Satan wants them. Uh, We need to know that also behind all of the false religions and all the cults um, that still exist in this world, including the the false religion of atheism and, and secularism, there are real forces of darkness at work. So we do need to, to recognize all these things. Also behind the, the cartels that traffic drugs and, and abuse and traffic girls and young women to sell them into, sex, into the sex industry or film them for pornography, behind that too, there are real demonic forces at work. We shouldn't be naive to that. It's not, it's not merely human evil and cruelty, though it certainly is that, but behind it, there is, uh, there is the enslavement of fallen human hearts to the forces of darkness. It is uh, horrible, vile, and cruel, and it is the kingdom of darkness. So Paul is honest about that. He says, you've been brought from that kingdom. It's there. It's real in this world. But you've been brought out of it into the kingdom of Christ. Uh, and what we need to recognize, what he drives home in, in verse 15, is that at the peak of Satan's power, when he had Christ nailed to the cross and thought that he had just won the war against God, that was the moment when his defeat was finally ensured. Uh, Satan was rendered powerless against us. On the cross, the decisive blow in the most serious battle in the world was dealt, and Satan never saw it coming. 
And what that means for us is that though that kingdom of darkness still exists, it is fading away. The victory is already secured and we have no reason at all to appeal in any way to that old kingdom of darkness. We belong to Christ and we have nothing left in that old world. Uh, There is forgiveness, redemption, and life for us in Christ. We who, who once were part of that old kingdom, enslaved to Satan, doing his will, corrupt, cruel, perverse to the core, all of us by nature were, uh, we have been bought with the blood of Christ, brought near to God, and uh, adopted as the children of God, heirs of that new kingdom. So we have no business with the old one. And that's why we preach the gospel. That's why we share the gospel uh, to everyone who, who, whom God puts into our life, wherever God gives us opportunity. It's calling every human being out of that old kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. Uh, in, in Christ and in Christ only can we be brought out of that old dominion and receive forgiveness and be brought into relationship with God. And so Paul wants to leave us again with the same message that he's given us every single text thus far. Uh, And we've seen it right from the very beginning in, in our study of Colossians. And it's this, there's no greater king. There is no better treasure. There is no more significant news in your life than Christ's and His uh, purchase of you, and His lordship over our lives, and over the entire universe. There is nothing more significant than that. No other power or authority is even worth our time. Uh, No other power can ever save us. Uh, If we are living out of a guilty conscience, no power will ever save us from that list of legal demands. We are only delivered in Christ. And so... Going right back to the first verses of our text, Paul finishes on on that same theme. Uh, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Be rooted in Christ so you don't fall for these cults. Be built up in Him and be established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. What's the way to avoid being caught up in these cults um, and and being distracted from Christ, the way to avoid it is to be deliberate about growing and maturing in our relationship with Christ. And to never stop, you notice he mentions thanksgiving, to never stop every single day giving thanks to God for having brought us from where we once were to where we are now, to the all-surpassing, incomparable, eternal glory that is given to us in Christ. That's where Paul would have us go. Amen. Let's respond to God's word by singing from Psalm 118, stanzas 1 through 5.